verses 10 through 12. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. We've been walking through the Beatitudes all summer, and we have the opportunity to finish up this morning. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. I'm going to read that in its entirety for us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Of all the Beatitudes... This final blessing from Jesus will likely make the least sense to us. And that's not just because it's strange to think of persecution as a blessing. That's strange enough. But persecution itself is strange to us. It's a foreign experience. We we live in this age of extravagant comfort. I don't know the last time you thought about that, how comfortable your life is. Even if you have a lot of trials in your life, just generally, basically, your day-to-day life, it's, we, we live in extravagant comfort. We, and that means that we are easily inconvenienced. I mean, I can't tell you the rage that I can experience whenever the internet connection is a little bit slow at home, you know, or, or Netflix crashes, you know, or, you know, I don't have the remote for, for the, for the uh, fire TV close to me, and then uh, I'm watching three shows on Netflix, and then it, like, goes to that screen that says, continue watching, and I'm like, of course, I'm sitting right here, I haven't gone anywhere, oh, I have to get up and go get the remote and hit next, and, you know, we live in so much comfort that we're so easily inconvenienced, and that means that our threshold for sacrificial living is really low. Like what we consider to be a sacrifice, is, is the, the bar is so low. And since all of that is true, that means that our threshold for persecution is even lower. Our threshold for persecution is even lower. So here's what we're prone to do when we approach a passage like this. I mean, when you really think about it, when the earliest Christians read this, the first people that read this, it would have made total sense to them, maybe more so than any of the other Beatitudes. It would have been such a comfort to them. And we read it and we're like, what do we do with this? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. What do we do? Here are three errors that we make when we approach this passage. First error, we speak generally of persecution around the world or throughout the history of the church. And when we do that, we don't do that to try to identify with them or pray for them. We do it and think that persecution isn't something that we will ever have to face. That's just something for the history books. That's just something in the pages of scripture. That's just something for third world countries. It's not something that we would ever experience. That's the first error, that you're beyond persecution. The second error, we speak subjectively but wrongly about persecution in our own lives. That's where we count every inconvenience as persecution. 
you know. Some, someone crosses you in some way and says, oh, you know, you're a martyr. You're, you're a martyr. You know, you've suffered so much at the hands of this person who may have been a little rude to you. And so then everything becomes persecution. Everything that's difficult, everything that's challenging, any, any pushback at all to you and the way you live your life, it's persecution. You become a martyr. The third error, we speak legalistically about persecution. We say... That if you are a true Christian, you will be persecuted. But when we say that, we imply, and sometimes we overtly state, that if you're not persecuted, then you must not be a true Christian. Persecution goes from from being something that can be a consequence of following Jesus to now it is a necessity if you're going to be in Christ at all. So those three errors we typically come to this passage with. Now here's what we need to remember about all the Beatitudes. Jesus himself embodies them. Jesus embodies each of the Beatitudes. And the good life is found in the Beatitudes because they display the character of Jesus in his state of humiliation on this earth. And so when we read them and study them, we're convicted to align with Jesus in all the Beatitudes that come before this one. We say Jesus was poor in spirit. Well, of course, we should be marked by spiritual poverty. Jesus mourned. We should mourn. We should mourn with those who mourn. We should mourn for sin. And Jesus was meek, so we should be meek. Jesus hungered and thirst for righteousness, and so should we. And Jesus was merciful, so we should be merciful to others. Jesus was pure in heart, so we should pursue purity of heart. And Jesus was a peacemaker, so it makes sense, and we desire it. We want to be peacemakers like Jesus. Well, now, what are we going to do? Here at the end, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. What a sour note it seems, you know, to end the Beatitudes with. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And of course, we know Jesus was persecuted, right? So it follows with the rest of the Beatitudes, But the question is, are we willing to embrace persecution for righteousness' sake, should it come? Do we want to be like Jesus in this way too? Or do we want to stop at the seventh beatitude, close the book? We'll be like Jesus in these ways, not this last one. Here's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see that the good life, the life that Jesus calls blessed, is marked by even persecution. And that's because of what God produces in us and promises for us as we suffer persecution. We're going to unpack this by by looking at three different observations from this passage. The first is the reality of persecution. The second is the reason for persecution. And the third is the response to persecution. So we're going to observe the reality, the reason for, and the response to persecution. All right, first. The reality of persecution. Well, as Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted, we need to ask, naturally, what is persecution? Persecution, as used by Jesus here, is suffering that comes as a consequence of identification with and obedience to Jesus. Okay, persecution is suffering that comes as a direct or indirect consequence of identification with and obedience to 
Jesus. We see this in verse 10 and in verse 11. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then in verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. So it's identification with Jesus and obedience to Jesus. When that leads to suffering, we call it persecution. Persecution is emotional, psychological, physical, and verbal opposition to those who are following Jesus. Persecution is executed by the hands or the words of the unrighteous against the righteous. Or we can think of it in the language of the Beatitudes. Persecution is executed by the hands of those that are giving their allegiance to a worldly kingdom against those who are giving their allegiance to a heavenly kingdom. Now, persecution takes many different forms, and it's expressed and experienced to different degrees. And Jesus gives a few examples here. He's not trying to parse out all the different ways that people can be persecuted. He's just offering us a number of categories. Uh, I want to break this down by showing you two, two basic categories of persecution. All right, there are two basic categories of persecution I want you to see. The first is emotional or psychological Okay, there's emotional or psychological persecution. This is uh, really taken from verse 11 where Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So this is when others will revile you, they will insult you for taking the name of Christ, for living out the Christian life. That's where you're disparaged, you're mocked, you're verbally shamed, you're demeaned because of your identification or obedience to Jesus. This is where slander comes in, false accusations that are brought against you because you are following Jesus. You could be fired from a job because you are following Jesus. This is revulsion. It is hatred that someone has. It's, this emphasis here is it's, it's this hateful disposition against the righteousness of Christ that is seen in his followers seen in their words, seen in their actions, the way that you live. They see, they don't know that they see this, but what they see is the righteousness of Jesus and they're repelled. They, they, they revile against you. And so it can be emotional, psychological. Well, there's another form of persecution. This is what we typically think of when we think of persecution. It's physical, physical persecution. Um, this is the word persecute here really, you know, gets the sense of running after, pursuing, or running out, Okay. It, 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 you know, has this emphasis on the laying, it's like you're, you're, you're laying hands on another person. It's physical. There. It could be imprisonment. It could be murder. It could be beating someone. It, it's the way that the church has been persecuted throughout the ages, the way the prophets were persecuted, the way the apostles were persecuted, and the way that Christians all around the world today are persecuted physically. It's, you, you literally are rounded up, either thrown in jail, beaten, or killed only because you follow Jesus. And that's a legitimate form of persecution that most of the world experiences and that is foreign to us. And that's why we need to also, as American Christians, consider this very important question. Not only what is persecution, what isn't it? What isn't persecution? Jesus is really specific in this beatitude, and it's important for us to notice the wording. We'll read it again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake end of sin. That's it. That's it. No more. No more is said. And then, blessed are you when others persecute you on my account. Nothing more, nothing less is said there. Jesus is not saying that everyone 
who is persecuted or who suffers automatically has the favor and blessing of God upon them. Jesus is not guaranteeing present joy or future hope for everyone who suffers or is persecuted. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And the the sad reality is that some Christians are persecuted for unrighteousness' sake. And, And some Christians are not persecuted on the account of Jesus or because of their identification with him, but on their own account, because of their own behavior and actions. Author Jonathan Dodson, he puts it this way. He says, Jesus doesn't throw blanket blessings on Christians irrespective of their behavior. He doesn't condone self-righteous culture war crusaders or smug holier-than-thou folks. Jesus promised blessing for humble, righteous allegiance to him. Persecution on his account is suffering that stems from humble allegiance to Jesus and his teachings. Now, this is really convicting because some of us may be persecuted just because we're obnoxious. You know, you look at that list insults, reviling, speaking falsely, persecuting. You're like, yeah, that happens to me all the time. Well, is it happening to you because of righteousness or is it happening to you because of unrighteousness? You might just be a jerk, you know? And that might be why people are opposing you and your beliefs. And some of us do face insults and accusations and maybe even a tad bit of physical harm just because we're asking for it. You know, not because of Jesus. And we like, to, we like to put that on Jesus. Oh, I'm suffering for your sake. I want you to think about persecution that comes from sharing the gospel. I'll give you a local example. So a couple years ago, I had an opportunity to lead a Bible study in a local business in downtown Tupelo. It was really cool. I, I knew the owner really well. He had this room. And during business hours, he was going to allow me to have this room. Typically, I would have had to rent out the room. He, he did not charge me. For the room, I was able to just set up in there and lead a six-week Bible study same time every single day. Unbelievable opportunity. Could invite people, could have them there, whoever was coming in and out, could sit, be in the Bible study, proclaiming the gospel, having good conversations with people. He allowed me to do that. He said, but the only thing is, I only want you to do it in this window. So don't do it before, don't do it after. Anytime you're wanting to do something like that, please come to me. Okay? So we do the study. It's, It's phenomenal, fantastic. Let's say I just get real energized and I'm like, no, this can't end. This can't end. I have to continue proclaiming the gospel. How can I stay silent now? We've had so much success. The spirit is moving. And so after the study, after our agreed time of me using that space, I just decide to take over the space. And I use it the next week. And I use it the next week. The owner finds out about it. He comes to me. He's like, hey, I hear you're continuing to use that space. We agreed that you wouldn't, so please stop. And then I feel like, oh, man. He's opposing me. He's opposing the work of the gospel, and I feel self-righteous, and I go back and I do it again, and eventually he just bans me from the establishment. Is that persecution? That's me being a jerk, not respecting him. That's me not... Uh, what I'm doing is abusing the grace that he had shown me, abusing the favor and abusing the relationship that I might not ever get back again. So that's not, that's not persecution, okay? If, if you're sharing the gospel with someone and in the process you insult their mama, you know, you're insulting mama in the middle of sharing the gospel, if they, if they give you, you know, a five-finger or a one-finger response, you know, you ain't being persecuted. You're just getting what you asked for. 
You know, I'm talking about somebody's mama when you're sharing Jesus with them, okay? Some of us are just persecuted for our unrighteousness. And in those cases, we're getting exactly what we deserve. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it way better than I could. He said, it does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are objectionable. It does not say, blessed are those who are having a hard time because they're being difficult. It does not say, blessed are those who are being persecuted because they are seriously lacking in wisdom and are really foolish in what they regard as being their testimony. The promise does not apply to such people. Okay, so what is the reason for persecution? So the second, second observation we want to make, the reason for persecution. What is the reason? Why are we persecuted then? Christians are persecuted for their identification with Jesus, as we said, on my account, and their obedience to Jesus for righteousness' sake. We need to consider what this means. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says this really simple statement that's super clear for us. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And here's how it works. When we pursue holiness, when we pursue righteousness in our lives, when we seek to be conformed to the image of Christ, what will happen is the glory of God will shine through us. And the more God's glory is shining out in our lives, the more we will both attract people who are searching for hope and searching for the gospel and purpose and meaning, and we will repel others. Some will be attracted to the love of God and the power of the Spirit in us, and others will be repelled by the stumbling block of the cross that is seen in us. Now, of course, if no one is reacting either way, it could be that we're more characterized by comfort than Christ. If no one is ever attracted into the kingdom by the light of the gospel shining in your life, it's worth asking, am I pursuing righteousness right now? And similarly, if no one is ever repelled by your holiness or your obedience to Jesus, not, not because you're being a jerk, but your, your righteousness, your pursuit of righteousness, if no one is repelled, it might be worth questioning if anything is really happening in your heart. So if you're always a victim of persecution, it could be that you're just being persecuted for unrighteousness sake, as we said, but if you're never facing any form of persecution whatsoever, it could be that you are hiding your righteousness from others. Keller, of course, says it more bluntly than, than I would. He said, if you're always being persecuted, you're probably obnoxious. But if you're never persecuted, you're probably a coward. Persecution happens when followers of Jesus are pressured to conform to the ways of the world, but then they yield only to the ways of Jesus. Scott McKnight said, the persecuted are those who seek God's will in spite of what others want, who love God so much they are faithful to God when they are oppressed, and who follow Jesus so unreservedly that they suffer for him. Inerrant in persecution then are both a love of God and a denial of of self. When we are conformed to the ways of Christ and we refuse to conform to the ways of the world, we can expect some form of opposition. And that's the key word. We can expect it. We should not be surprised by persecution if we are pursuing righteousness in our lives. That should be your new expectation. If you're going to pursue to look like Jesus, you should expect some form of opposition. Persecution is normal for a Christian. 
This beatitude assumes that persecution is a part of the kingdom life in this fallen world. And when we suffer persecution, it's not an aberration. It is more abnormal for a Christian to live an unbothered, super comfortable life. That's more abnormal than being persecuted. Back to 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will emphasize a different part, will be persecuted. Persecution in one form or another is inevitable for followers of Jesus. So as you head back into to the world this week, expect to face some form of opposition when you strive to glorify God by doing your job with excellence. When you seek to glorify God in your work, expect some form of opposition. Whether it's a coworker who rolls his eyes at you, doesn't like you, causes you trouble because you're making him look bad by how hard you're working. We can expect persecution when you refuse to participate in gossip, deception, division, or other forms of sin. You can expect to face some form of opposition when you strive to live as a peacemaker or when you work for justice or mercy for those who are most vulnerable in the world. You can expect to face some form of opposition when you seek to align your life with the principles of God's kingdom. When you live the good life, you will, you will, as you're pursuing righteousness, be faced with mild but possibly extreme forms of persecution. And here's why this is important for us to talk about now in a season of comfort. It's to prepare. It's to prepare, to to not view this as something that would, would be abnormal. Persecution would be more normal for a Christian. And it should not cause us fear or worry because Jesus calls us blessed when we are persecuted. So how should we respond to it? How should we respond to persecution? Jesus says, since we are blessed when persecution comes, we should respond to persecution with joy and gladness. Look at verse 12. After two verses, two verses of essentially assuming that Christians will be persecuted and blessing them for it. You are blessed when others revile you. You are blessed when you are persecuted. You are blessed when others speak falsely against you. He says in verse 12 how we should respond. It's it's so simple, so glorious. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God produces joy and contentment in us when we are persecuted. He takes what causes pain, alienation, and sorrow. He flips it on its head, and he creates this strange joy and contentment and satisfaction in our hearts. I want to offer you three reasons that we can rejoice in the midst of persecution, because it's easy to say, but we need to reflect on it and think about it and meditate on this. What are some reasons that we can rejoice? I want to offer three. First, we can rejoice in the midst of persecution because persecution for righteousness sake is evidence of the good life. We're pursuing the good life. We, we want to live a life that God calls blessed. We want to live a life that is favored by God. We want to be in the will of God. We speak of that all the time. When you're persecuted, it's evidence. It's like a receipt. It's like a receipt that you are living the good life. 
Persecution for the sake of righteousness and for the sake of Jesus himself is evidence of the good life because it is confirmation of our faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to us. When we are persecuted for our allegiance to Jesus, no matter the degree, whether it's mild or extreme, we are vindicated for following him. We are reminded of God's faithfulness to work out his purposes in our lives. And when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake or for the sake of Jesus, persecution becomes a display. It becomes an example of God's work in us and an example of our faithful response to him. Persecution can actually bring deep assurance of God's love for you and your love for him. So first... We can rejoice because persecution is evidence of the good life. Second reason we can rejoice. Persecution shows that we are in the company of those who have been faithful before us. So Jesus says that we can rejoice and be glad. This is at the end of verse 12. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets that we read about in the Old Testament were persecuted by those that lived during their time. The apostles that we read about in the New Testament were persecuted. We can read these stories in the Old and New Testament. And the saints throughout church history have been persecuted, and saints all around the world today are persecuted, possibly even this very moment. I, I love the story from Acts 5. I'm not going to invite you to turn there. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to go back and read Acts 5. But at the end, Acts 5, 40 through 41, we read this about the apostles as they were persecuted. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, the apostles. Listen to their response. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer dishonor for the name And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. When we suffer persecution, we're in that company. We we get to be counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus, just like the prophets, just like the apostles, and just like saints all around the world today. When we're persecuted, we're counted among faithful saints of the past and present. But third, we can rejoice because we have a great reward in heaven. We have a great reward in heaven. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven, or your reward is great in heaven. In verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven of which Jesus is the king belongs to those the world is rejecting, casting out, beating, persecuting. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul calls suffering of which persecution is a symptom light and momentary in 2 Corinthians 4. He writes, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we also live now knowing that those who unjustly persecute us will one day face the justice and judgment of God. They won't get away with it. 
They will get what they deserve as, as we read in Revelation 16. Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Sharing in Christ's suffering now is a reminder that we will share in Christ's glory later. We can rejoice now, even in the midst of persecution, because we know that one day persecution and suffering will end, but our joy will only increase, and it will increase beyond measure. So human insult now will turn to divine commendation. Human rejection and harassment now will turn to divine acceptance and favor. And earthly persecution now will turn to eternal heavenly bliss. This is the beauty of the gospel. We aren't just warned of a hard life if we choose to follow Jesus. We aren't just counseled by Jesus, hey, listen, if you follow me, life's, life's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. Just grin and bear it. You know, just accept the pain as a normal part of life and, and just move on. It'll be fine. Get back up when you're knocked down. I'm so sorry for your trouble. I'll be back soon. Jesus promises us so much more. He promises us joy in the midst of our pain. But this response of joy is not natural to us. Sometimes we just have a martyr complex. We think everyone's out to get us. And other times, we're just afraid of losing our comforts. I'm afraid this beatitude doesn't make sense to us because we're so comfortable. I see this in the political cycle. There's so much fear-mongering coming from both ends of the spectrum. There are so many worst-case scenarios that are suggested as reasons we should vote for this candidate or vote for that candidate in the presidential election. I've seen so many Christians dreadfully worried about what they might lose if the Democrats win or if the Republicans win. Y'all, in light of this passage today, these final words of the Beatitudes, I have to ask, what are we so afraid of? What, what are we so afraid of? We should be more content than anyone else in this country, no matter what happens. Why would we ever succumb to fear or, or participate in spreading fear? So what if we lose the country, whatever that means? We're not living for this country. We're living for a country that is above and beyond this one. So what if our vision for what's best for the country isn't realized? The kingdom of heaven has dawned, and it's going to advance with or without the United States as it is. It's not dependent on America being the way that it is and has been. Can I let y'all in on a very public secret of Jesus? The kingdom of God isn't affected in the least by an American presidential election. Not in the least. And neither is our hope and joy in God. Not in the slightest. Our expectations, our mission, our faith, our hope, our joy as followers of Jesus will never be altered, no matter where we live or how bad things get for us. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't contend for and vote for the welfare of our city, our state, and our country. I'm not saying we shouldn't do all we can to promote the good of our neighbors. We should. It's consistent with our mission as God's people. But what I'm afraid of more than anything else, I am afraid we've become so comfortable that we would actually rebel against the very kind of life Jesus blesses here in the Beatitudes if following Jesus actually became risky. If it actually became risky. 
even if the worst case scenarios pan out to be true, even if we really did lose our democracy and lose our freedoms and face persecution, not only from peers in a mild sense, but from the state in an extreme sense, all of that loss would not compare with what we'd gain. Do you see this? Do you see what Jesus is saying? We would gain greater identification with him. We would gain greater identification with the global church, the saints of old, the apostles and the prophets. Our joy would increase and the church would grow rapidly. The kingdom of heaven will advance on this earth with or without us and God does not need us to advance his mission. If we get caught up in the drama of American politics out of fear of what we might lose, our allegiances might shift. And if that happens, we will be in danger of advancing political ideologies more than the kingdom of heaven. But by his grace, God has invited us out of this mess. He has invited us out of the fray, above the fray, into his mission. He calls us to be part of advancing the gospel. So may we never let our fear of future persecution or what might happen in the country distract or detract us from our role in the mission of God to advance his kingdom. We shouldn't ask for persecution. We shouldn't be apathetic to the affairs of our nation. But come on. If Jesus has our allegiance above anything and everyone else, then no amount of changes to our lives, the nation, the government, whatever, could cause us to tremble in fear. You see what Jesus is saying here? Nothing and no one can touch your joy in him. The beauty of the gospel is that through the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. The restoration of all things has begun. The blessing of God through Jesus has replaced the curse of the fall. And through the death of Jesus, we have a friend, a big brother, whose suffering causes our suffering to count. Oh, and then the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, his victory over the grave, his entrance into glory. It opens the door of our hearts to joy, even in the midst of deep pain and opposition from others. We can rejoice because when persecution is written into the story of our lives, we know it's not the last chapter. Not even death itself gets the last word. Glory awaits. Heaven awaits. And one day, when the king returns, our bodies, our minds will be raised to imperishable glory. So we can not only take whatever opposition the world throws at us, we can rejoice in the midst of it. And that is what it means to live the good life. The blessed life of the Beatitudes creates a kind of happiness that is not dictated by circumstances and it is unfazed by even persecution. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer closes up his section on the Beatitudes. He says, Having reached the end of the Beatitudes, we naturally ask if there is any place on this earth for the community which they describe. What a question. Is there any place on this earth where we can find the community the Beatitudes describe? He goes on to say, Clearly, there is one place and only one And that is where the poorest, meekest, and most sorely tried of all men is to be found. 
on the cross at Golgotha. The fellowship of the Beatitudes is the fellowship of the crucified. With him, it has lost all. And with him, it has found all. The Beatitudes in total show us three things. The kingdom of God is wide open. It's wide open. You don't have to dress up your heart, your life, your body. You don't have to become something before you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you poor? Are you sorrowful? Are you weak? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, and he will provide all that you're longing for. The kingdom of God is wide open for you to enter in. Second thing the Beatitudes show us is how to live the good life. So I pray that not just this summer, but moving forward, we would seek to become all that the Beatitudes say that we are. And finally, the Beatitudes, oh, they remind us of the glorious future that awaits us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you are in Christ this morning, yours, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And no matter what comes in this life, that is the glorious hope that we have.